Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. I'm Tom Salemi. I'm very grateful to be your host. Before I do my job and introduce our two guests, yes, we have two guests today, I did want to remind you we're coming up on OIS at AAO. It'll be on November 12th in Las Vegas. Make sure you get on OIS.net and check out the information. The agenda is starting to come together. Brent Saunders of Allergan will be delivering the keynote, and it should be a fantastic event. We really uh, knocked down the walls in Chicago last year. It was a huge event. So don't miss out this time, again, November 12th in Las Vegas. Now on to the podcast. Today I'm pleased to be joined by Paul McLean and Malik Kahook, who respectively are the CEO and medical director of Clarvista. Clarvista is an innovative clinical stage company that's developed a really novel IOL system. It's called Harmony, and let's hear how it came about. Well, Paul McLean and Malik Kahook, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having us, Tom. Paul, I was listening to uh, some of the, or watching some of the OIS videos, and uh, you have a real future, I think, as, a, as, a, as an announcer at the end of the commercials with the disclaimers. You were able to speak very quickly and very articulately and got the, the entire Clarista story uh, in the, in the five-minute limit, at least last year in Boston. So kudos to you for, for being able to, uh, to work under pressure like that. Oh, well, thanks very much. It's always a great opportunity to tell the story. <laughs> it's a, it is a great story. I mean, it, it's a clever idea, and let's get right into, into Harmony, the technology. It's, it sort of turns the idea of, of finding the right IOL, uh, matching the right IOL to patients on its head. Rather than focusing so much on the measurement, you're actually able to focus instead on, on the lenses and, 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 and swap them out fairly easily. Let's get into the Harmony Modular IOL. Tell us uh, what it consists of and how it works. Sure. Um, I'll take this one, Tom. Um, you know, one of the big benefits of, of being able to um, take a seat and, and think about some of the unmet needs in ophthalmology is that we can really think outside of the box. And I think the Harmony Modular Intracular Lens System is one of those examples. We really started off with a blank slate, and um, we were thinking about intraocular lenses and how they have developed over time. And if you think about it, the basic design of the intraocular lens, whether it's a three-piece lens or more recently over the past couple of decades, the uh, one-piece uh, lens, they haven't really changed in basic designs um, since the 1940s. You basically have an optic, and then you have a stabilizing system, uh, typically termed haptics, uh, which has essentially been the same. Much of the development uh, over the last few years has happened within the materials themselves. So we challenged ourselves here at the University of Colorado to come up with new concepts that would address some of the unmet needs that we're seeing with the implants themselves and, of course, with the outcomes that we're seeing in our patients. Uh, we thought of the intraocular lenses that we're using today as being um, very useful to the patients from the um, standpoint of improving their vision postoperatively. But I think when you look at the data, you can see that there's certainly some holes that um, can be improved upon with some of the inflexible nature of the intraocular lenses that we're putting in, as well as uh, some of the limitations and outcomes that we're seeing. 
So let me tell you a little bit about the basic design of the lens. What we've done is we've uncoupled the base, the docking system of the lens from the optic itself. So initially with this implant, the base system is implanted into the capsular bag and it acts as a docking system for the optic. Once the base goes in, it occupies the space between the anterior and posterior capsules, and it really acts as a stabilizing force so that once the optic goes in, it remains exactly where you place it. And of course, this addresses one of the major shortcomings with intraocular lenses today, uh, where we believe this is going to improve upon the effective lens position, uh, which is one of the guess factors that we uh, use right now when we're picking a lens. Now, with the optic itself, uh, once you've uncoupled it from the docking system, the implantation um, happens in a two-step um, series. So the docking system goes in, and then the optic um, goes inside of the capsular bag, and docking features within the optic meet up with an internal groove that exists within the base system. So you can imagine now that we have a lot of flexibility with what we can do with this optic. So let me touch on um, a couple of the benefits here for both the base and the optic that I'm sure some of the listeners are already thinking about. Now that we've uncoupled the system, the base, the docking system itself that I've uh, described to you as being stable and uh, receptive to the optic, uh, has a couple of other um, options that we can start playing around with as far as what barriers we can place to limit posterior capsular opacification, which is one of the major limitations with the current intraocular lenses that are on the market. Now that we have this additional real estate to play with, we can place additional barriers which uh, have been shown in preclinical studies uh, that we've done at uh, Moran at uh, um, the University of Utah uh, to show that we've had a dramatic decrease in the amount of PCO in the industry standard for preclinical PCO testing. And now, of course, with the optic going in, we can address some of the shortcomings uh, that I discussed previously. Uh, one of the examples would be refractive surprise. We know that uh, even with the most ideal measurements that we do today, that a significant amount of our patients have at least a half diopter of uh, what we can term a refractive surprise or missing the target of what we had intended. Now that the optic has been separated, we have the capability to replace that optic if need be to get that patient to perfect 2020 vision, uh, which is of course our target um, all along. For some of the premium intraocular lenses with the shortcomings, multifocal lenses and toric lenses, we can address multifocal lens dissatisfaction uh, from a, um, a patient standpoint by uh, not trying to hide the dissatisfaction that's occurring from the multifocal, but by replacing it entirely and giving a multifocal patient a monofocal lens, which um, should address the exact nature of what their issues are. With the toric lens, we know that a significant amount of patients have rotation of their toric lens post-implantation, which can be significant up to 10 to 15 degrees and even more, which of course would influence their um, refractive outcome and how happy they are. Because of the uncoupling between the optic and the base, the optic can be rotated without placing any added stress on the capsular bag because the docking system is firmly in place and stable. So there are multiple things that we can address just by changing the design of uncoupling the two. And what I like to say, and, and I'll, uh, I'll just close off by saying this, that the system itself, in my view, is a life cycle lens. 
uh, right now, the way we use intraocular lenses, when a patient comes in, uh, we do the measurements and we give them an intraocular lens, and that could be the lens that they live with for the next 20, 30, 40 years of their life. With a system like the Harmony intraocular lens, we're now able to address some of the things that change with time. So, for example, a patient who has a multifocal lens who later in life develops glaucoma or macular degeneration, and now that multifocal lens is actually hurting their vision rather than helping, we can now go in and fix the root cause of that problem by replacing it with a monofocal lens. We know also that technology changes over time. So the technology that we have in the eye today, 20 years from now, might not be the most ideal technology. And now with the Harmony system, we have that flexibility to keep giving the patient the best possible technology on the market. One big thing that happens with the eye as it ages is we get a change in astigmatism. So even if the physician and the patient are very happy in the post-operative phase after the intraocular lens is implanted today, we know that 5, 10, 15 years from now that the astigmatism of that patient is actively changing and we really don't have a way to address the root cause of it. With the Harmony system, we'll be able to go in and address the changes that happen inherently to every patient. And the last uh, case here with the life cycle, of course, is that uh, we don't have a pediatric lens on the market today, and I think the Harmony system is ideal for the pediatric population. When an intraocular lens goes into a very young eye, a one-year-old or a two-year-old, we know that their refraction is going to change over time, and right, way, right now we don't have a good way of addressing those changes that, that might occur over time, and that actually do occur for sure over time. And with the Harmony system, what we're able to do is to go in and address that by changing the optic as the needs of that particular eye changes. And that's why I think of it as a, as a life cycle lens. We're able to address all of these issues, not just today, but also tomorrow and into the future. Once we have um, implanted the Harmony lens, we know that we can give this patient uh, the best possible vision for the rest of their life. What was the, the moment of origin uh, of this idea to, to, to split the two components? Was there discussion amongst yourselves in a boardroom where we used to decide, oh, we can do this, or was someone jogging down a hill or climbing a mountain or whatever you do in Colorado, and the aha uh, moment just sort of came and, uh, and, uh, and, and this, this came about? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. I don't know if you actually heard about how the initial idea came because it had a lot to do with running. Um, so <laughs> I did I'm, not, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm definitely not known as a runner, and, and those who are uh, listening to the uh, podcast, I think, will chuckle when, when a running story comes into this. Uh, but this started early on um, before the um, great partnership with Prospects Medical. I was on the treadmill running, and I was thinking about how we have all of this wonderful technology in the operating room today. And these are things that you've reported on in the past, intraoperative aberrometry, um, some of the very novel um, cataract extraction uh, devices that we have now from femtosecond laser to very advanced vague emulsification systems. But the benefit that comes to the patient ultimately after removing the cataract is placement of this lens. It's really a central point to how we make our patients happy and how we in the future want to be happy with the cataract surgery. So I started thinking about ways to allow the intraocular lens to meet with all of the advancements that have happened in the operating room. How can we get this entire system to shift to the next generation? And really what we came up with was uncoupling the optic from the base, and a whole world of innovation opened up to us when we were able to achieve that. Does the separation of those two components weaken one or the other? 
Uh, great question. I think, in, in fact, it actually strengthens the two. We still have the benefit of the optic performing as any of the market-leading optics today. It should be mentioned that we're using standard um, hydrophobic acrylic material that is non-glistening, um, that the procedure itself can be done through a small incision, sub 2.2 millimeter. Uh, we're using right now some off-the-shelf um, injectors, and with future advancements, some of the work that we're doing within the company will improve upon that with our own injectors. So there is no limitation that's placed on the actual surgical procedure, on the implantation, on how the optic and the base couple within the capsule or bag, we really can take both of these systems and um, use standard techniques that are used today for phaco emulsification, standard devices for injecting the lens um, and the base system into the bag. We fasten, um, we dock the optic within the docking system, essentially using a Sinsky hook, something that all cataract surgeons are very familiar with. And we don't place any limitations and hinder ourselves by uncoupling the two while providing all of the benefits that I was just talking about. And how did this find its way to prospects? Yeah, so good question, Tom. Um, so through Prospects Medical, um, in early 2012, we got introduced to Dr. Kahook at the University of Colorado by one of our venture partners and um, began exploring the potential uh, utility and benefits of this modular approach to an IOL. Uh, and we're very excited about the the. Uh, pun intended, the prospects for this. Um, and in the end of 2012, we did a proper spin out of, uh, of a company built around that, and that became Clair Vista Medical. Um, and then just to complete the, uh, the timeline for you a little bit, um, you know, along the way, we've done two financings. We did uh, one in the autumn of 2012, we did an additional financing in the spring of 2015. Um, and along the way, of course, there's been a whole lot of work that's taken place um, within the company to set up the company, but also position ourselves to um, take full advantage of the opportunity we have with the technology. Um, you know, just by changing, Dr. Cook mentioned this before, but just by changing the basic design to a modular approach, it gave us um, just such an open door to completely rethink the design of the IOL and work to improve, you know, the major shortcomings that we see with traditionally designed IOLs, such as, you know, uh, the inflexibility, their instability during the healing process, and then, of course, the development of secondary cataract or posterior capsular opacification uh, over the long term. But in 2013, uh, we completed the first-generation design of the Harmony Modular IOL system, and we brought that into the clinic and in 2013 and 14, uh, we enrolled our first in human trial, uh, which enrolled 31 patients, and we followed them for 12 months. Uh, we are very, very pleased with the outcome of that trial. Um, uh, the Harmony system demonstrated a great safety profile. Uh, we're very encouraged and have a very promising story on lens stability during healing. Uh, and, of course, we were able to demonstrate the, uh, the ability for the Harmony system to be easily and atraumatically exchangeable uh, over really quite a nice time horizon. Um, along the way, we, uh, we continued to work on the development uh, after 2013 of the Harmony system. Uh, we learned a few things in our first in human study and made some uh, really incremental design improvements. 
that we completed in 2015 here in the early part of the year with our second generation Harmony Lens system. And as we sit here in mid-2015, we are looking forward to starting our second clinical study, uh, which we would expect to begin enrollment in the fourth quarter of this year. That's fantastic. That's a great update on the clinical studies. And let me just take a quick moment to remind those who are listening, those who are enjoying the Clarista story, that we love having companies like these, and we've had Clarista present previously at our OISs. We love having the future leaders of ophthalmology present at our conferences. So if you have a story that you think needs to be shared with the best and brightest in the ophthalmology industry, go to ois.net and fill out a form for presenting companies, and we hope to hear your story at our next event. Now back to this discussion. This is one of those, those concepts that sounds great, you know, especially with, with eye surgery to, to have a procedure. I think one of the larger concerns for people, including people like myself, is the fact that a lot of what is done is permanent. I, I wear eyeglasses. I'm fine with wearing eyeglasses because I can take them off. I can put them on. I'm not quite ready for laser surgery yet. Maybe, maybe someday, but the glasses aren't that much of any convenience for me. Uh, so this sort of falls along those lines in that it can be reversed. It can be improved upon, as you said. How did that sit with, how did though the concept of splitting the two sit with the, the FDA? Was this something that they were completely on board with to begin with, or did it require a bit of a sales job? Well, Tom, we've, uh, we've had early discussions uh, with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, along with other regular, uh, regulatory bodies uh, throughout the world, and those discussions have gone very, very well. Of course, our first in human trial uh, was performed um, exclusively outside the United States, um, and, uh, and done very successfully. Um, I would tell you that generally regulatory agencies are very encouraged uh, by the technology. Uh, it's widely recognized that inflexibility creates a number of uh, real clinical challenges. And I think it's also widely recognized uh, by regulatory agencies around the world that we simply don't have a, uh, a good system for pediatric use. And while not a huge market, um, it is a market that needs a better solution. Um, and regulatory agencies have approached us specifically about the development and about a, a pathway towards a pediatric device uh, where we can uh, look to an expedited pathway to get that done. And how about the, the physicians themselves, the folks you're, you're meeting at OIS and, and other conferences? I, I saw one interview with, uh, with a physician who was interviewing you, uh, Paul, and uh, he was very enthusiastic about the concept. Uh, is, is this an idea that you think that is resonating with folks? It, it's, its simplicity and its flexibility uh, is, is making the concept at least an easy sale? I know you're not selling the device yet. Uh, an easy sale. Uh, so, uh, good question, Tom. I'll start, and I'll let Dr. Cook chime in, too, because uh, he has a lot of interactions with physicians as well on the topic. Uh, but what I can tell you is the response that we've uh, gotten from practicing clinicians throughout the world has been incredible. Um, there is a, uh, a huge recognized need uh, to have a different uh, tool in the toolbox uh, to treat patients. And if you think about the demographics, I think it's an interesting angle. Guess who's coming through cataract age right now? Well, it's the, it's the baby boomers, right? It's, it's people like us here on the phone. Um, and then we are also the first LASIK generation. So we just tend to have a higher expectation about our visual outcomes than prior generations. And we expect more out of our cataract surgery. 
uh, in terms of finely tuned visual outcomes. Uh, and so there's a clear recognized need and just a, a real excitement level from practicing clinicians that, that I've talked to, uh, bar none, really. It's been a, a very consistent and very enthusiastic response. So I'll, I'll add to that a little bit. I, I think, uh, well, first I'll start by saying that um, Paul just introduced me to the fact that I'm part of the baby boomer generation. So. <laughs> me as well. I, I'm, a, I'm a Gen Xer, proud and strong. But, uh. <laughs> All right, so I'm the old person on the call. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I think uh, when we when we have conversations like the one we're having today, Tom, uh, going through the description of the base system uh, being uncoupled from the optic, uh, I think a lot of people can imagine exactly what we're talking about. But when we show the animation and we, we show some of our surgical videos, I think that is uh, when people um, start to get the idea of where we're going with this system. When we put the first video, the animation on clairvistamedical.com, and people went to the video, I started getting a lot of emails saying, okay, so I'm starting to get what this concept is and understanding that it's not just about the idea of exchangeability, it's really about the docking system and the optic working together. So I think it's worth mentioning that our goal here is that when this lens is being used, the physician is targeting perfect visual outcomes from that first implantation. And we think that because of our docking system and the stability of our lens, that we're going to enhance the post-surgical outcomes right off of the uh, bat. So from the beginning with that first implantation, what we're offering with the Harmony system is the flexibility to go back and do things as needed, whether it's a refractive surprise, a change in patient needs, uh, an improvement in technology, or in the case of pediatric patients, a change in their actual um, ocular length, which would then change their refractive needs. Um, so I think physicians start to get this intuitively from the first description, but once they start seeing the animation and recognizing that we're not really changing the mechanics of the implantation, that any surgeon who does cataract surgery can go in and do this today, that's when you start to see the real enthusiasm and the excitement. In a, in a perverse way, does this potentially create a, a problem for surgeons? And I'll, I'll just t tell you what it is. If, if, if you've, got, you've done the procedure and you've got a patient who has very high demands and they want to try this and then they want to try that, is the, is, is the uh, physician, is the surgeon going to be reimbursed with those revisions time and time again? Uh, and I know I'm probably ahead of myself with reimbursement strategy, but is there an opportunity for this flexibility to, to be a, a, a problem for surgeons? Um, so I, I can take the uh, surgical part of that, and then I'll, I'll throw it to Paul for the reimbursement part. Um, you know, I think um, surgeons at the end of the day want the best for their patients, uh, and I think this is what the Harmony system provides. It allows the physician to really give the best possible outcome uh, for what the patient's needs might be. And really the questions that come up, Tom, with specific patients is, number one, did you hit the refractive target? This is where refractive surprise comes in. And then are you happy or unhappy with the results of your multifocal lens or your toric intraocular lens? And all of the clinical scenarios that I can think of with these examples that we're talking about can be addressed with a subsequent surgery if need be, whether it's a realignment or an exchange of the optic. Um, so I don't think of this as a um, shopping for optics coming in every year to get a new optic in the eye. That's certainly not what is intended, not what physicians would want to do, and frankly not what patients would want uh, to do. Point. Uh, but it does give that flexibility that when a patient comes in with a cataract and they're seeking 20-20 vision, what the physician can do is tell the patient that they have the ability to do post 
first implantation to give them the best possibility of achieving that. But if they don't get there, if they don't get to the finish line, they now have an atraumatic way to do this uh, safely for the patient to get them where they need to go. And Paul, how do you see the reimbursements playing out? Well, from a reimbursement perspective, Tom, this is another great um, uh, great element for us because we really don't require any new reimbursement codes or infrastructure for us to be successful. Uh, so we'll fit into the existing reimbursement codes and the existing business models that are employed throughout the world. Um, in particular, uh, for instance, in the United States, many private practice physicians have a practice where they, um, they promise a particular outcome and they employ tools to get to that outcome. And most of the refractive enhancement tools are really uh, patient pay at this point and will continue to be going forward. Uh, so we fit very nicely into the existing CMS reimbursement infrastructure as well as the patient pay uh, models that ophthalmologists employ today. That's a great point. And just finally, you mentioned earlier that you did, uh, you did raise capital. NEA contributed to the first round. Now you've got Wyndham and is it the SICAD group? Is that how you say it? Yeah, that's correct. Psychiatric group out okay. of Santa Barbara. That's that's. So you are how how long are you capitalized for? When might you need capital next? And and just uh, take us down the road a couple of years. When when do you see uh, more work with the FDA and and ultimately we hope commercialization. Yeah, good question. So um, if we if we paint the picture forward a little bit here, we'll. Um, start our uh, enrollment of our next clinical, a series of clinical trials in the fourth quarter uh, of 2015. Uh, that data will be largely used to support regulatory approvals in different markets throughout the world. Um, throughout that course of the next three or four years, we will continue to have uh, ongoing dialogues with submission meetings and pre-submission meetings uh, with regulators throughout the world, including the U.S. FDA. Um, we are capitalized right now uh, for the next couple of years uh, and are uh, just very happy with the team of investors and the commitment that they've made um, and the stance that they've taken with the company. We're, uh, we're very blessed with, uh, with incredibly uh, good uh, investors and board members. Excellent. Well, it's a great story. Uh, I look forward to hearing it again uh at OIS. I'm sure we'll see you folks there as, as the company progresses. And thank you for taking the time with us today. Thanks very much, Tom. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Malik, for joining us on the OIS podcast and for giving us an update on the Clarista story. We've been fortunate to have the company present at OIS in the past, and we look forward to hearing how well the company does going forward, both at our conferences and back here on the podcast. OIS is the best place to hear the stories of tomorrow in ophthalmology. So please join us on November 12th. Go to OIS.net if you have a story to tell. Go to OIS.net if you just want to register or attend. Either way, I'll see you in Las Vegas. OIS is now accepting applications for presenting companies. Share your technology and clinical data with over 800 industry executives, investors, and key opinion-leading ophthalmologists. To be considered for the Ophthalmology Innovation Showcase, apply online at www.ois.net forward slash application.